Welcome to Getting Credit, a podcast focusing on financial markets, corporate credit, and timely insights from Pacific Funds. Here's your host, Dominic Nolan, Senior Managing Director at Pacific Asset Management, the sub-advisor for Pacific Funds Fixed Income Funds. Hello, and thank you for joining the inaugural podcast of Getting Credit. With this being the first podcast, I want to make sure we convey why we are doing this. And I'll start with a one very simple reason. Credit is a bedrock to our economy and capital markets. And if I were to think about capital markets, it's my opinion that credit is very core to them. And to use an analogy, you know, if the heart is comprised of governments and banks pumping currency into the system, I really believe and think of credit as the blood flow, essentially providing vital nutrients to all parts of the body or many facets of the economy. And to me, nothing can highlight that more than the most recent market volatility we've seen. And if we go back to February, March of 2020, earlier this year, markets were strained. I mean, we, we certainly felt the impact. We started to feel the impact of, of COVID-19 on, on the economy. And right around early March, things were weakening. And then by mid-March, we really started to see cracks in the market and in particular liquidity. The central bank, our Fed, came in and supported the treasury market and the mortgage market, but markets were still weakening. I'm talking across the board. In, in particular, credit markets, translated equity markets, they were having brutal times in the middle of March. And for me, that what changed it was the Fed announcement Monday morning, March 23rd. And I remember the previous night, we were on the phone, we were on the phone quite a bit actually over the previous two weeks, but the night before, a lot of the a lot of folks on the team felt it was going to be a brutal week, another brutal week of markets. And equities were limit down Sunday night, the 22nd. The next morning, Fed came out and announced that they were going to support the credit markets via a primary facility and a secondary facility. What happened that day was equities were down a few percent, uh, probably four or 500 points on the Dow, if my memory serves me correctly. Credit markets started to firm up. And by the next day, if you look back, equities bottomed on the 24th. What I found interesting was the Fed was already supporting treasuries and mortgages, and the market didn't think the Fed had the ability to support credit markets directly. And they were actually able to find a creative way to do that. The Fed didn't come out and announce they were buying equities. The Fed came out and said, we're going to support credit. And I don't think it's a coincidence that capital markets bottomed that day and started to firm up once liquidity within credit was supported. So that's, to me, a very very recent, very relevant, very important example of how important these markets are to the functioning of our economy and certainly our capital markets. Let's take the current environment to highlight a more specific example of credit's importance. But before I do that, I'll just take a step back. As a corporation or a borrower, credit is is essentially a source of financing or capital. For a non-financial business, which is really the real economy, in my opinion, it is vital. It provides a stable funding source. Because it's competitive, 
it should lower the funding costs. It does result in less reliance on banks or financial institutions. And it provides the ability for cash flow matching, acquisition purposes, growth investment, you know, de-risking, exchange rates. There, there's many things that credit helps corporations with. So that's the borrower. Benefits to the lender would be the ability to receive incremental income or spread income relative to government securities, a way to participate in a company's capital structure, uh, retain capital, diversification. Historically, it's been a very attractive risk reward. And in a world where you know, the supermajority of global bonds trade with yields of less than 2%, a way to get more than, more than what governments have or more than 2% credit is more often not going to play a vital role in that. As relates to this current environment, you know, the sources that we chatted about or the sources I mentioned about what companies are using for, you know, the second quarter of this year, corporations needed liquidity to simply navigate this pandemic. And American Airlines, one of the major airline carriers in the United States, you know, was able to raise billions of dollars, five to 10 billion when they were burning $100 million a day. And this company employs 130 plus thousand Americans. Without that source of liquidity and burning 100 million a day, they, they don't make it. And, and I think that's the case for many companies in the United States. And so they were able to go to the credit markets to obtain their source of liquidity. Meanwhile, providing the lenders or the investors incremental income and diversification. As you can see, the relationship between the borrower and the lender is the foundation of this marketplace. It serves benefits to both sides and really sets the proper foundation for it to maintain, grow, and add value. The second reason we want to do this podcast is, you know, despite the importance of credit for our economies and markets, it can be very opaque for many investors. And we want to shed a light on that and hopefully demystify various aspects of credit. And I'll share a perspective from an investor standpoint, from, I'll say from an asset allocation standpoint. On one side of the equation, there are government bonds and treasuries, which it's the reserve currency, it's arguably the most liquid asset in the world. And then on the other side, you have equities with significant volatility, uh, free, frequent, frequent trading, constant price discovery or, or prices available across the spectrum. And in between treasuries and equities, there's a very wide space. Much of that space is occupied by credit. And it's a market that has many inefficiencies and just as many variabilities. What I mean by that from a variability standpoint is you can invest in credit domestically or internationally, floating rate coupons, fixed rate coupons, across various credit qualities, different liquidity profiles, different structures, different assets with various rules, sometimes called covenants, and of course, different timeframes from three months, one day, 30 plus years. 
is as an investor, you're really forced to price the value of these variables. And if I were to highlight just some valuation elements, you know, when you, for credit investors, equity many times is just a simple part of the capital structure. It's an element of the enterprise. If I were to take an investment grade corporate bond, there are three base things that should be priced in. One, or should be accounted for. One is your your treasury curve or your base rate. Second is the risk premium, the amount of compensation above that that you would demand it as an investor. And the third element is time. I, I'm lending to this enterprise. A lot of times my entire upside is just a repayment of principal. So how do I price in the risk of this particular enterprise, time value of money as relates to base rates, and the amount of time that I seek to be a lender? Again, those are, those are very difficult things to get absolutely right. Obviously, the marketplace helps us get an idea of what it should be or what other investors are willing to pay. But that's, that is also, folks, a down-the-fairway investment-grade corporate bond. And I just think I find that challenging as you dig deeper. And, and again, hopefully as we dig deeper, we can shed light on this in an interesting manner. The third reason we want to do this podcast is truly personal. I'm quite certain the genesis can be traced back to my childhood. Growing up, uh, my father lived in Indiana and my mother lived in California. So I would spend the school years with him and the summers in California. And while I was out in California during the summers, we lived in various places. And my mother was a single mom working. So spending, taking a break and spending time during the day was secondary to simply making a living. So as a result, every time I would come out during the summers, there would be a variety of programs, camps, places that I would be dropped off. And as a child, it's unfamiliar every year, multiple situations, variety of group settings, and I just had to find a way to adapt. And my way to adapt was to observe the people and try and find a way or find a place among each of the situations. So as a result, I became fascinated with human behavior. And that carried me for, it's carried, I've carried it through me, with me my entire life. Now as an adult, I think there's a, deeper element. I think it's a, perhaps it's a pursuit of self-understanding, but I certainly feel it provides an enhanced ability to navigate various situations in life. So with, with the fascination with human behavior and in getting to know how humans behave, the role of incentives is a big part of that. And as I grew up, I became more interested in something logical. And to me, business and economics has a logic to it that really helps balance the emotional variables associated with many people. So as I entered, entered college, I studied business and economics, but hadn't made the jump to being intrigued or fascinated with markets. That occurred a few years after college in realizing where I, I had come from. And it was, it was a place I, I didn't, 
have exposure to much. Just you, you go to college, paid for it on my own because that's what I thought you're supposed to do. And what I felt was I, I didn't realize the starting point was, as I got more exposure to the world, the starting point I felt was probably with a lot fewer resources than others I'd come across. And I don't begrudge that. I just didn't know that. So then as I learned about the market, what really intrigued me was this was a living, breathing entity. It was, it was challenging and dynamic, but it didn't judge. And it didn't take into account where I came from. It simply rewarded or it penalized. And I really gravitated to that. So you know, when, I, when I reflect now, this dynamic, this, the capital markets to me are, it's, it's a faceless playground. That's a convergence of capital and economies and business and human behavior. And it is constantly captivated me. And I feel blessed to have had a career of more than 20 years. And if fate is my friend, uh, hope to be only partway through. So hopefully this gives you some context of why we initiated the podcast. And as we take you on the journey, we plan to be informative, timely, and try to make it interesting. Thank you and stay tuned. This podcast is for financial professional use only and not for use with the public. The views in this commentary are as of August 12, 2020 and are presented for informational purposes only. These views should not be construed as investment advice, an endorsement of any security, mutual fund, sector, or index, or to predict performance of any investment. The opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice as market and other conditions warrant. Any performance data quoted represents past performance, which does not guarantee future results. Any forward-looking statements are not guaranteed. All material is compiled from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Sector names in this commentary are provided by the fund's portfolio managers and could be different if provided by a third party.